0: Welcome to the Good Shepherd Church podcast. Good Shepherd is a gospel-centered church plant in southeast Lakeland, Florida, and our vision is to join God's mission to see a glorious city filled with disciples of Jesus who are secure as children of God, connected as the family of God, and engaged as stewards of God's love to their neighbors and beyond. Here you will find sermons and other resources to help root and equip you in your true identity in Christ. We're glad you're here. Hey, welcome. I'm Jeremy. Glad you're here. Uh, and here we go. If, if you missed last week, we began a new series, and you can see um, on every row of chairs, there's a connection card, uh, which I encourage you to fill out if you have any prayer requests or would like more information about Good Shepherd. And then secondly, on top of that is the Good Shepherd scoreboard. And the series that we're running through for the next four weeks, and we started last week, is really trying to, to refocus ourselves personally, what does it mean to have a healthy Christian life? And then corporately, together, what does it mean for us to have a healthy church life together? And so these are six things straight out of the scriptures, uh, aligning with our vision statement and our cultural context and who we are as individuals that encapsulate who we desire to be, who, if the Lord would bless us, this is what we would be. And so these six items we're taking one by one. The last two of them we're going to compress into uh, one sermon right before we transition into a new series at the end of January. So this week we're on number two. You can see there on your paper, which is habitual worship. I don't know what kinds of thoughts or emotions that may bring out of you. That may sound legalistic. That may sound weird. What are we talking about? Hopefully, we'll be able to root this in the scriptures and uh, and explain a little bit more of what I'm getting at with that title. A man named Justin Whitmore Early, um, who wrote a book that I've just recently read uh, with a couple other folks in this room. Um, He graduated from college. He's not much older than me. He graduated from college and felt called to go on the mission field. Met his wife right before he went to the mission field. Off he goes to China. Spends a number of years in China. One day he's walking down the road and within a 10-minute space, as he walks down the road, he sees a drug deal. He sees a brothel. He sees... uh, a kiosk of stolen laptops, and then he sees a protester protesting against a corrupt government. Only one of those four people were arrested: the protester. And in that moment, he was filled with the, the injustice. That he saw before him, and he realized that what the, the Lord had drawn him into and was calling him into was not so much a life of missionary service abroad, but a life of service to the Lord in the law. So he goes back. He graduates with honors from Georgetown University with a law degree. He gets his very first uh, his very first um, uh, mergers and acquisitions uh, law job there, close by, and. From the outside everything looks perfect his life looks amazing he gets he grows this long cool beard he's which obviously i'm fond of uh he he is uh a motorcycle aficionado so he gets this bmw old vintage bmw uh bike all of life on the outside looks really good yet on the inside not so much he continues on that he began to wake up in the middle of the night with cold sweats, with a rapid heartbeat, and with a deep sense of anxiety in his gut. And he didn't know why. There, there was nothing around him. He had a nice family. He had a nice life. He had money. He had a couple of kids. Everything was going well. What was going on with this guy? One night, it actually wound him up in the ER at 3 o'clock in the morning where the the ER doctor gently smiled at him and said, there's nothing wrong with you. But you are are exhibiting signs of clinical anxiety and panic attacks. What happened? This missionary called by God to go into the law and then for all of life to seemingly be falling into place so well, what had gone wrong? Why was he internally so dysfunctional? As he began to peel back layers, he saw more of what was going on. While he was in law school, it was just the norm to pull all-nighters. It was the norm to stay up till, you know, two, three in the morning studying. It was normal to get up at four, five, six to continue studying. And that began to be how he lived his life. That was the rhythm and the habit that began to characterize his life. And he carried that right on into his family life. So the first thing he did every morning when he got up is he checked his phone and he made sure and he checked his emails and he checked his notifications to make sure, is there anything important that happened while I was asleep that I am so important that I must respond in this very moment or else I may disappoint someone or something may fall through the cracks because it's up to him. You may see where this is going. And so little by little, that the hab- habitual nature of of the compulsiveness that he was living his life with began to take a toll. It took a toll on his mental abilities. It, he was across the room from, uh, in the kitchen, from his wife, and his wife handed him some dishes. And he was so cloudy and foggy that he took the dishes and said, I don't know where these go. Many of us today may be in some form or fashion of dysfunctional habits because if you remember one of the things that came out from last week's sermon and if you weren't here i'll recount that real quick i just made the statement you become what you worship and that's rooted in the psalms and that's rooted in the old and new testament broadly but there is a sense in which as you worship you are forming yourself into something and to, to worship is just to, to do the same thing that we do as we walk through this liturgy together every week. It is a, a habit that we get here every week and we go from call to worship to benediction. And in the same way, your life is a living liturgy. You are doing, you have formed your life in such a way that one thing leads to the next, leads to the next, leads to the next. Those things that we do are forming us those things that we do are actually the worship of our lives according to Romans 12 Paul says this he's he's urging notice the urgent appeal that he says I appeal to you brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is what which is your spiritual worship And then he contrasts that with saying, please give your worship to the Lord because if not, you're going to worship something else. And so then he goes on to say, do not be conformed. Do not worship this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so there is, is like Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. And so the question before us this morning is, uh, this afternoon, hopefully, we're going to be going back to morning worship too soon, uh, pretty soon, so that I don't have to keep messing up like that. Um, so, if it's true that what we worship we become, and if it's true that our ha- our habits, how we live our life, actually reveals what it is we worship, then how do we begin to order our life this new year in a way that is giving everything we have as a living sacrifice to the Lord? So. Jesus, close to the end of his ministry, gives this address in John 15. And I think it's one of the best characterizations of what it looks like to live every day as a follower of Jesus. So let's read this together. John 15. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. So Father, we we ask today, I love what Jeremy prayed as uh, we transitioned into the sermon, that as a church we would more deeply this year than the last and more deeply the year after that than this one, abide in you. There will be a day for all believers where we will only abide in you. Where we will only dwell with you forever. This side of that reality is very difficult. This side of that reality feels some days like you're not even around. And yet you say, abide, be near, be close. So I pray that you would now teach us by your word, what does this mean? And how can we do it? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the word abide has in its frame, in its scope of meaning, anything from remain to stay, to wait for, to carry on or continue to rest and so the way that I thought about characterizing it for today's sake is to live and we'll go into a little bit more of a biblical context to be able to, to found that but the idea of we are either one of two things we're either living with Jesus consistently, walking following him or if not We've got to live with ourselves. Those are the two options in life. And so let's see how each one of those work themselves out in this passage. First, to live with Jesus. Verse 1 jumps right into understanding what Jesus is talking about here. Abide, I'm sorry, I am the true vine. Now, if you have read through the Gospel of John before, you'll notice that there are seven, seven times in the Gospel of John, this being the last one, where Jesus makes the statement, I am. That's an important statement. That's not just sort of a metaphorical statement. He is drawing that directly from when God in the burning bush comes to Moses and Moses asks what his name is and what is is Yahweh's response? I am who I am. And so he plucks that and identifies himself, that God who is in the burning bush back there, I am. And many people that was very offensive and wrong and did not seem to square with their understanding of the scriptures, but for seven times at least, and who knows how many times he made these statements. He said seven different ways, seven, seven different identifications of how he is God and what the character of the nature of the job that he had come to do. And so everything from bread of life, light of the world, door of the sheep, the good shepherd, resurrection and the life the way the truth the life and then finally he says i am the true vine and in an agrarian you know farmer society farmer culture that this would have been this is a very common understanding they would have you know it's much more difficult for us when many of us you know have never seen where our food production actually comes from but if you've ever stood in a vineyard And you see those long rows. If you've ever been out to California and seen those long rows of grapevines. And you see that they're held up by trellises. And the the main stem, the main vine, comes straight up the middle of the trellis. And then off of the main vine comes these branches. And then the fruit is then hanging off of those branches. And this, as they walked their day-to-day life, they would have had this image in their head. They would have walked past many of these vineyards. So this would have been a very familiar, understandable metaphor that Jesus is using. He then makes this comparison. Obviously, if a branch, if you walk through one of the rows and a branch is lying there on the ground, even if at one time it maybe had some grapes on it, what would those grapes look like if they were sitting there on the ground? They'd be eaten up by bugs. They would be, you know, mostly dehydrated, sitting there baking in the sun they would not be thriving, flourishing fruit. Apart from him, that's what he's saying. But in him, amazing, bountiful, flourishing, thriving fruit can come out of your life. Then verse 4, he goes on to say, then this is what, if I'm the vine, then this is how you should, how should, how you should respond. Excuse me. If I'm the vine, you should then abide in me. The same word for abide is used in Luke 19. You remember Zacchaeus? A wee little man he was, right? Zacchaeus climbs up into a sycamore tree. Kids, you might remember this story. You probably went over it sometime in the past couple of years in kidsmen. And there's a giant crowd as Jesus comes into their town. And Zacchaeus, being short in stature, climbs up in this tree so that he can see what's all the commotion, what's going on. And of all the people that Jesus sees, he looks up in that tree And he sees Zacchaeus. And what does he say to Zacchaeus? He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay with you. What is that word? I must abide with you. He's saying, Zacchaeus, get your house ready because I'm coming in. You're having me over for dinner. You've just been voluntold. In the same way, Jesus is saying to us, abide in me. Invite me over. Invite me not just into your church world for an hour and a half on a Sunday afternoon. Invite me in to your breakfast table. Invite me in to your, your work day. Invite me in in the middle of the night. Invite me in wherever, however you do life. Invite me in and abide in me, and I abide in you. And we, he's asking, will you walk this life with me, alongside me, following me, abiding, getting everything that you need, all of your nourishment, all of your needs being met in him. What's the result then? He is the vine, we are the branches, so we must abide. Then verse 5, whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. What is the image of bearing much fruit about? We hear it in Paul. Jeremy prayed earlier, the fruit of the Spirit is a common understanding of what inward character looks like as the Spirit of God works in your life as you are conformed more and more to the likeness of Christ. That is very accurate, but that is not the only thing. This image of bearing fruit actually goes all the way back. Like all the way back to the very first page genesis 1 god makes man god makes woman and then what does he do he commissions them he says i've made you in my image to go image me in the world to with a specific job to do and what is that job be what's the word fruitful be fruitful bear fruit and multiply fill the earth and subdue it Fill the earth with skyscrapers. Fill the earth with technology. Fill the earth with everything true and good and beautiful, art and music and entertainment and history. Fill the earth with people that love me and love others. Fill the earth. That was the commission given to them. That is the commission in the same way given to every human who has ever lived. That's what fruit bearing looks like. Inward character an outward work, outward good work for the sake of God's glory filling the earth okay so then if that's kind of the flow of thought of what it looks like to live, to abide in a daily way with Jesus then how do we tend to mess that up what does that look like when we flip that on its head and naturally as we are aware we tend to flip things on their head pretty quick when it comes to scripture What does it look like when we just are sort of living with ourselves? Um, One of the most helpful articles that I read in the past year was by a guy named Brett McCracken, who's a a blogger. And he wrote a blog entitled, Are Churches Losing the Battle to Form Christians? Here's what he said. The digital age, and more broadly, our secular age, has greatly expanded the horizon of ideas shaping Christians. The church is increasingly just one voice among many speaking into a Christian's life. A church's worship habits may occupy two hours of a Christian's week, but podcasts, radio shows, cable news, social media, streaming entertainment, and other forces, uh, forms of media account for upwards of 90 hours of their week. How can a few hours of Christian formation and during COVID maybe zero hours compete with the tidal wave of media rushing over people. If you were to take a a habit inventory of how you spent your days and you were to plot that out on a graph for a week, this is how I spent my waking hours. This is how I spent my sleeping hours. This is how often I slept and how often I was awake what would that tell? What story would that tell about what you're worshiping? What story would that tell about who you are hoping to be formed into? Are you hoping by your habits to be formed into Christ-likeness? Or are you hoping by what your habits, what the way you live your life is showing to be formed into any other thing? And the you know the various things we could desire to become are endless what would your life tell let's riff just for a minute on uh the i don't have my phone with me but you know what what mr mccracken here just brought up and hit us like a sledgehammer in the side of the head what does it look like in the way we use our media how is our excuse me how is our media forming us It may be there are some of us who are fixated on the news cycle, on what is the latest thing, what is the latest uh, political article, what is the latest breaking news, what is the latest whatever. What could that be showing you about, one, what you worship, and two, what you're being formed into? What might you be worshiping as you are constantly swiping right on your iPhone there to see the latest political news or social news from the surrounding area, it might be that I must know everything that is going on. It is is very tempting to become the all-seeing eye with the fact that we have so much available at our fingertips because if I know everything, then I will be able to control everything that happens. Or maybe it's Instagram. The, the ability to self-promote, the ability to put only your best self out there, the ability to, to sort of curate how you come across to a watching world could be forming you into someone who believes that all of that praise is actually mine. That looking good is actually what I want to be formed into. I want to be this person who my Instagram life is actually what my entire life looks like. Or maybe it's podcasts. This is my downfall. Everybody loves a good podcast. What can be wrong with podcasts? What could Jeremy possibly say about podcasts? Could it be possible that through your podcast use, your, your inner desire is to know it all? And by learning it all, by studying it all, then I can succeed in whatever it is that I am wanting to study. That I will be most equipped. If I can just find this one blog post, this one podcast, this one article, this one media clip, then that's going to be it. But I'm going to keep searching and I'm going to keep striving and I'm going to keep listening and I'm going to spend hours and hours and hours pouring over it. I'm not saying any of these things in and of themselves are bad. But the question is, with whatever you are doing in your life, to stand back from it for a moment and say, how is this forming me? Is this forming me into Christ? Or is this deforming me into something else? For apart from me, this is the most staggering verse in the whole thing. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do we believe this? Of course, you can, you know, you can make dinner without Jesus. Jesus. You can take out the trash without Jesus. You can brush your teeth without Jesus. You can have a successful career without Jesus. You can look good without Jesus. You can, fill, you can raise a beautiful family and die an old, you know, wealthy person without Jesus. You can do all of those things without him. Then what is Jesus saying? What does nothing mean? Nothing means anything of value. Anything eternal. Anything that will count anything that will actively love God and love anybody else, without Jesus, nothing. Do we believe that as a church? That apart from Him, Good Shepherd can do nothing. Do we believe that in our workplaces? That apart from Him, Lake Region High School, Southeastern University, wherever that place of work may be for you, can do nothing. It's convicting. It's convicting to see the standard that Jesus calls us to and yet, if we actively look at the fruit in our life, would you say more of it is beautiful and flourishing or is more of it just about to fall straight off the vine? Half rotten, half eaten by bugs, half... Disintegrated from the heat of the sun. There's been a lot of heat recently. There's been a lot of heat in life, in our world. Are we abiding in him, hoping to be formed more into him or not? The neat thing about most of the I am statements of Jesus are they are all connectors back to some Old Testament truth. And the same is true here in Jesus saying I am he doesn't just say I am the vine verse 1 he says I am the true vine why would he insert the word true there if you go back to there's a couple places in Isaiah and here's one of them Israel one of the images for God's people in the Old Testament Israel is that they would be God's vine and through them God would bless the whole world. That's Israel's story. And here it is. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. So far, so good. What do we know of Israel's story, though? And he looked for justice. Kind of like Justin Whitmore early as he's walking down that road in China. But behold, bloodshed. Looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. If we're honest about our own lives and the type of fruit, for the most part, that we are bearing, I imagine most of us come up more like Israel's story than a flourishing vine. What do we do with that? This is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the true vine, meaning I am the true and better Israel. I am the true and better God's people. Like he says at the, in the back half of the passage, as I kept my father's commandments, I abide in his love. So go do the same. Right? He was the true Israel. He was the one, the only one, who has only brought truth and goodness and beauty to bear filling the earth as far as it was in his little sphere of influence at that time that was his entire life his entire 33 years was only that of bearing fruit and yet what happened at the end of his life remember all the things about the branch falling off hitting the ground being thrown into a pile of branches and turning into a bonfire That was the end of Jesus' life. The entirety of his life was only filled with fruit bearing. And what did he get at the end of it? He got cut off. No more nourishment. No more connection to his father. Why? So that as he falls to the ground, a new branch could be grafted in. That is you and I. And only in his absence can we, his people, be grafted in and then begin to abide. Real life, real humanity, real flourishing can begin to come out of us by his spirit's power inside of us. And so only on this side of the cross do we have the full story, the full understanding of what does it mean to glorify God. It means before anything else, to abide in Jesus. So do you want to be effective in your work? Do you want to be effective in your parenting? Do you want to bear fruit that lasts and matters in your homes, in your workplaces, in your friendships, in your marriage? Then in every one of those places, what would it look like to even build in some habits to bring Jesus into the room, to let Jesus in on what's going on? Now, this all feels very ethereal, very like up here in the clouds. How do we bring it down to close? Verse 7 and verse 9 and 10 are kind of the the most practical help for us understanding what are we actually talking about? What is Jesus talking about when he says, abide? So he says, if you abide in me, verse 7, my words abide in you. Okay, so there's the first one, Scripture. Scripture. His words abiding in us, us hearing over and over the word of God inside our head. Second, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done. So as we hear God speak to us through his word, then we respond to him in prayer. This is the dialogue of the Christian life. Word of God, prayer. Word of God, prayer. There's the first two. Here's the second, verse 9 and 10. As the fathers loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Isn't it neat that of all the things he could have said, go do, he just says, just go remember I love you. Like of all the things that the, the, you know, the most important being in the history of the universe could tell these little created beings that he made, and he says, just remember I care. Because out of that creates a new kind of Freedom. A new kind of ability to live in a way that bears fruit, and then finally, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love it 's the created order of things to follow his commandments, and so that we thrive as we live in the way that God was created God created us to live so there 's a book that I meant to bring up here, but i didn 't so i 'll just say it. Um, A guy named Pete Scazzaro, I've mentioned this book before, wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, I would recommend that book as well as the book that I mentioned earlier, The Common Rule by Justin Whitmore Early. Those two books together form a really helpful picture of what it looks like to to form yourself by active habits of worship. Um, But he says these are four basic categories that you can think through. And he's pulling from this ancient tradition called the rule of life. And funny enough, and perfectly for this sermon, the, the rule there does not mean like rules you have to follow, but instead it, it is actually the Latin word for trellis. And so what he's saying here is, if you want to have a trellis that will hold up your life, that will be the habits that will hold up your life so that Christ can be formed in you, here are the four categories that you can think in and begin to balance you can imagine this like a balance beam with four sides. Prayer, rest, relationships, and work. And so if you were to map these out, if you were to, to write down these four uh, categories, draw a big, uh, a big plus sign in the middle of a paper so you got four quadrants. Prayer, rest, relationships, work. And just begin to fill in the, the daily things that you do in each of those four categories and then when you're done step back and go wow one of those has way more bullet points than the rest of them do and then how might you begin to reorganize those four so that it creates a more balanced picture of what a a limited life as a creature not the creator whose first job is to abide in Jesus not to do stuff what would that begin to take shape in as if it were a reality in your life so those four categories and actually in our discipleship curriculum uh, it is one of the activities that, um, that we do in the year one curriculum so you'll have an opportunity to do that uh, in the coming months if you're involved in those groups